all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 246 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the white notation episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that in white notation, which is basically a locomotive identification scheme developed by some dude whose last name happens to be White, which is W-H-Y-T-E, a uh, steam locomotive. With two unpowered leading wheels, followed by four powered driving wheels, and six unpowered trailing wheels, is a 246 steam locomotive. And with that wonderful little bit of white notation knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be a resident Sony employee, Tim! White notation Tim, you can call me that. (laughs) Indeed. So, Matthew, I wanted to ask you right off the bat, what Mm. is the worst James Bond movie that you've seen at the movie theater? Hmm. I I honestly, I don't have one. Really? Is there not one that you disliked the most? I lived in a very unique time in the world (laughs) where the only, I'm not joking, the only Bond movie I have ever seen, the only Bond movies I've ever seen in the theaters were GoldenEye, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, and what was the most recent one? Uh, Sphincter, or Spectre. 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 Yes. Okay, so Spectre. There you go. Spectre's the only one. So, I mean, it's like, I haven't, I haven't really seen all that many in the theater. Uh, but, yeah, we all know I didn't really like Spectre, so I guess we'll go with that. Okay, okay. Well, before this weekend, my least favorite Bond movie that I saw at the theater was Quantum of Solace. But now I can add Moonraker to my list of least favorite Bond movies that I've seen at the movie theater. (laughs) Because this past weekend, I went to a double feature of Bond flicks, Roger Moore era Bond flicks. And it was The Spy Who Loved Me followed by Moonraker and... Man, after an hour into Moonraker, knowing exactly what it's going to build up to, man, I, I was ready to go. Because I went back this past November and rewatched all of them from the comfort of my home. I watched Moonraker and I thought, you know, Moonraker isn't that bad. But when you're in a movie theater, after already spending nearly two hours and 15 minutes watching a far superior Bond movie, you know, you, you just kind of want to get the hell out of Dodge. Indeed. I, I don't know. I uh, I just always call that one Jaws in Space. So, <laughs> Well, okay, for those who aren't up on their, you know, on their James Bond, Jaws was the guy with the big metal teeth. You know. Richard so, Keel, right? Anyway. That's that's his name. Yes, I believe his name is that. Anyway, so, and, and his nickname was Jaws in the Bond movies, so. And it's in The Spy Who Loved Me where Jaws, the character Jaws, actually fights a shark and wins by chomping (laughs) on the shark and killing it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Jaws v. Jaws. Yes. Proof positive that Pierce Brosnan did not corner the market on cheesy Bond moments. Just putting that out there, guys. No, he did not. Moonraker has any cheesy... Pierce Brosnan moment beaten by many, many miles because (laughs) 
they make so many jokes on popular movies at the time, like Close Encounters. Like there's like this little keypad where he has to get into the secret laboratory. And every button you push, it has like it plays a little little tune. There's a little note to it, and it's the boo 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 or whatever it is from Close Encounters. And yeah, yeah, there you go. So they do that, and it's annoying as shit because we all know Roger Moore. He's aware of how corny this is, and he's playing it to the audience. But you know, there's only so much of that you can you can get behind when it comes to a bond movie before it gets a little too corny but yeah jaws in space took the top spot in my rankings of horrible bond movies i've witnessed at a cinema well speaking of spectacles both good and bad did you uh take any time out to view the eclipse or were you completely out of range oh no a a lot of people uh, at work, we're checking out the eclipse. I didn't have glasses to actually look up and look at it. I really didn't feel like going out and asking to borrow somebody's glasses whenever they're... We we made a cereal box pinhole viewer. Yeah. That's what we did here at the, his house. Well, all of our cereal boxes here in Los Angeles are made out of kale, a lot of kale and hemp, so <laughs> you really can't... It doesn't, it doesn't have that same effect. I understand. I understand. The school district was very very wary of letting the children go outside today for fear that they would stare at the sun and go blind. So they literally canceled recess on the first day of school. Today is, uh, here in the Houston area. Our particular school district uh, started school again today, and they literally denied the kids recess. Uh, but they said that parents who wanted to come and take their kids, you know, check their kids out of school could totally come and check their kids out of school, and this way that, you know, liability would be covered. So... I show up a little bit after one o'clock because the apex of it was going to be at like one seventeen or something. And um, sure enough, there's like a group of people who have gone and pulled their kids out of school <laughs> so they can, you know, we're all sharing our little pinhole viewers and people are passing the glasses around and all that good stuff. And uh, so, yeah, it was kind of cool. And uh, a lot of the kids got to see the eclipse. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, eight minutes later, everybody marches them all back inside and checks them back in. <laughs> so, um, you know, fun times, fun times. And uh, that's about all the excitement I have over here. Well, how f- much fun is that? Memories. Memories of watching the eclipse and not going blind. So that's <laughs> a plus. Yeah, no, I, I understand, though, that uh, you found out about a little controversial service that you wanted to ask me about but because you didn't know I was already a member. Yes, and that service is called MoviePass. You, Matthew, are a part of MoviePass, which for those of you out there who don't know, it's this... I don't, how long has it been uh, been around now? I only heard about it a couple weeks ago. I literally, literally heard about it last week, read up on it, looked into it. Uh, Johnny actually linked it to me via social media. So I started looking into it and... There was just no real downside uh, that I can see. So we'll once I once I actually get a chance to start using it, we'll see what's up. Yeah, for nine ninety five a month, you get to go see however like one movie a day. Yeah, you can see. Yeah, basically you can go to pretty much any movie theater, AMC theaters, Cinemark, Regal, um, and I mean I looked it up and basically all of the theaters around me like 15 or 20 different theaters around me within uh, within 15 miles, all of them I could go to at any point and watch. 
you, you can do a 2D movie. You can't do 3D movie or IMAX, so you still have to pay for that. And you can only do a movie a day, and it's just for you. So if you wanted to do, like, you and your family, then each person would have to get the membership. Yeah. And you can't do, like, specialty-style theater. So things like Arclight and stuff, where they uh, really specialize in, you know, providing that ultimate... You, uh, those kinds of theaters are not eligible for this program. So, but I'm... And- Jeez, it's a good oh. deal. No, it's, it's, but it's a good deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, no kidding. I mean, I thought it was fake at first because I know it used to be like 15 bucks, like fourteen ninety five, and just recently they reduced it to – they reduced the monthly price to nine ninety five. So it's on par for a basic membership to, for Netflix pretty much. Mm-hmm. Once I heard about this, I just wondered, there's no way in hell movie theaters will get behind this because – Movie theaters make money from these movies, but they but they're not they're literally not losing anything. That's that's what gets me. So okay, so the people behind MoviePass literally understand they are fully losing money on this deal. But they're hoping that they can stem the flow of of cash by showing the ultimate value in the service that they provide. Because what what's happening is, is I'm paying $10 a month to them. But every time I go and see a movie, they send you a debit card in the mail. So my debit card hasn't come yet. I literally signed up last week. Um, and the debit card comes in the mail. So you use their app or you go onto their website and then you say, okay, I'm going to go to this movie theater and see this movie at this time. They then load the value of that ticket onto the debit card. You walk into the theater. Oh, and that's the other downside. You can't pre-purchase. You do have to purchase in person at the box office. So then you show up and say, I would like to buy a you know, movie ticket. So, you know, if you go and see a matinee, they'll, you know, it's like seven bucks. So then they load seven dollars onto that debit card and you go up there and swipe seven dollars. So the movie theater loses absolutely no money on this gig. Uh, the debit card is value has that value placed on it for whatever the ticket is. If you went on a Friday night in New York City, it's going to have like 18 bucks loaded on that debit card. Boom. Swipe your card. Have a nice day. So the movie theater loses literally no money. And because you now have the ability to spend more money, that's why they happen to know that people start buying more concessions. Um, also, they have an exact data of... Age, sex, uh, they have, um, you know, the type and style, the exact time that people are going to movies, what movies they're seeing, which can then tell studios what kind of movies to make, when to release them, or do split theaters that are only going to show certain movies part of the day and certain movies the other part of the day, when to do those kinds of things so that theaters will make more money, um, then, then the theater makes more money on concessions, which is where their big markups and value are anyway. So I really, I literally do not understand why a theater would have a problem with this. Okay, so what you're saying is, so you get the, the this debit card in the mail, mm-hmm. and you reserve your ticket through the MoviePass app or their website or whatever. You're not even reserving a ticket. You're just telling them what you're going to go see so they know how much to put on the card. Right, and you use that card to pay either at the box office or at the little... Yeah, at the little kiosk electronic or whatever, thing. Sure. Yeah. 
Right. Is that money? Like, is that is it points or is it that's actually no, that's loading money? money they on are that literally debit, loading. Debit card. Yeah, they're loading the cost of the movie ticket on there. So when you swipe it, you just paid them the real money. That's why. Okay. That's why MoviePass states up front: we're losing a shit ton of money on the front end. But the back end yeah. is going to be all the data we collect and then their ability to say, look at all these people who are going to come to your movie theater. They'll partner with movie theaters, partner with advertisers who can then like, you know how you get those commercials at the beginning of your movies nowadays. Well, now it would be sure. commercials that you might actually want to see because they know when you're going to go see them and they're going to know what kind of movies you're into and what kind of things you're looking at. They also know how to partner with other advertisers and other movie theater chains. And and so that's where the relationship comes in, where they can then on the back end start making that money and recoup the cost. Okay. So Well, there's one theater chain, one major theater chain out there that is wanting to block the use of movie pass from uh, from their theaters and quickly here uh, via variety.com amc slams movie pass threatening legal action written by brent lang and it says this in a statement the world's largest exhibitor dismissed movie pass as quote a small fringe player end quote and said that its model quote is not the best interest of moviegoers movie theaters and movie studios end quote amc's stock has been hit hard in recent weeks after it released disappointing quarterly earnings and lowered its projections for 2017. The summer box office is in a slump and a stream of film flops have dragged down exhibition stocks. Shares of AMC took a beating again on Tuesday following MoviePass's pricing announcement. The company's stock ended the day down 2.57% at $13.25. MoviePass didn't just unveil a new pricing plan on Tuesday. It also announced that it had sold a majority stake to Helios in Matheson Analytics, Inc., a publicly traded data firm, for an undisclosed price. Since it was founded in 2011, MoviePass has roiled exhibitors who have engaged in legal action at various points to try to stop its development. In an interview with Variety, MoviePass CEO Mitch Lowe said that the deal has yet to close, but expressed concern that AMC's stance could hurt his business, saying, quote, I'm not worried about it killing the sale, end quote, he said, quote, what I'm worried about is it confusing customers and making them believe they can't use this service at AMC theaters, end quote. MoviePass is using the capital injection from the sale to fund an overhaul to its pricing model. It will now enable customers to see a movie a day in a theater for a $9.95 monthly fee, far less than the cost of a ticket in many major markets. And then it goes on talking about AMC, and AMC released various statements on MoviePass and and, and all that jazz. So I I guess now that we have a a better grasp on what is going on here. Obviously, MoviePass is is trying to help the customer, us who are tired of spending too much money on seeing fucking movies. But then at the same time, they are helping these theaters with marketing and stats and numbers and all that stuff based on their clientele. Now, what if AMC decides to keep true on what they say about blocking MoviePass and they decide to do their own monthly plan? What do you think about that? Do you think it would be foolish of them? Because when something like MoviePass, where it's all-encompassing of all these different studios, I would think AMC would like to have all that data 
from all these other studios because in a way it would help them out. And they are also a big uh, theater chain. Therefore, they already have an upper hand. But what do you think about theaters having their own monthly subscription, I guess, to well, see movies? Well, that's just it. They, okay. If they were ever going to try and do something like this, they would have already done it. Also, it, I mean, it should be noted, I don't, uh, I, I didn't hear if you mentioned it in that particular article or if it was a different article. AMC specifically teamed up with MoviePass uh, before. And how they know about the concession data, they pulled that concession data that they talk about where they go, we know people spend more on concessions when they have our program. Um, from that sharing session that they did, from that joint venture that they tried to test with AMC. So they already know of which they speak. The simple fact of the matter is AMC is um, a movie theater and they would never, ever do something like that um, because they know how much money they're going to lose up front and they can't afford to lose that much money up front, which is what is really good about them because they're not losing any money. And even on the data side of it, the cost of the, the initial upfront cost of gathering that data is too high. So why not let somebody else absorb it and then just come piecemeal, right? You could, I mean, you could literally at that time, at that point, buy it retail, you know, and then just take the data that you want when you want, uh, through MoviePass. But I mean, it's a fucking debit card. You can't stop a debit card. I mean, I guess, you know, if, if it's a debit card, then it's chances are it's going to have a Visa or a MasterCard logo on it. So what are they going to do? Stop taking Visa and MasterCard? Um, I I mean I I just I don't even understand I don't even understand the logistics of how they could stop it um much less why they would want to stop it. And yes, I get that you know it would be nice for them to have their own data, but they can't afford to create their own data pool like that. Um so you know and then what we were like we were talking before the show um my last experience with their kind of program um, wouldn't even let me buy the, you know, wouldn't even let me buy the concessions that I wanted to buy. So that's the AMC Stubbs loyalty, yeah, thing, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, and and I mean, okay. So obviously, our, our listener doesn't know what I'm talking about, but okay. So a little, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, uh, which was the last time I went to AMC, which should tell you something. Um, I go in, want to get a, want to get the, you know, big tub of popcorn or whatever. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'd like a large tub of popcorn, please. They have the little bag. They have a little me- a, a medium, bigger size bag, a larger size bag. And then they have the tub thing. I was like, okay, let me get a large tub of popcorn. And they said, well, you can't uh, buy that unless you're a Stubbs member. And I'm like, I just want to give you money. And they're like, well, yeah, you have to be a Stubbs. I was like, and does that cost money? Yes, that costs money. I'm like... So you want me to spend money just in order to spend money? I was like, that's stupid. Now you get no money because I'm not buying anything now. And then I left and didn't buy anything. Um, so this is a company that doesn't even know how to sell fucking popcorn. And they think they can handle the logistics of something that MoviePass is doing? Fucking idiots. But if you want to give us free passes to come to your movie theater, I, I, I think we'll gladly take that. Absolutely. I'll, I'll just I'll, throw that up there. Yeah, I'll take free, <laughs> I'll take free passes. Right, prove me wrong, AMC. Please, I would love it. You, prove me wrong. 
All right. Well, that was fun. I, I'm glad. I wanted to talk about this because this is a hot topic in entertainment news. I'm very curious to hear what people out there who have actually used it, if they've experienced any problems or not. So, Johnny, since you're the one who turned Matt on to it, let us know how it's worked for you. Anybody else, let us know what you think about it. If you are opposed to MoviePass, we want to know. Amen. Anyway, so uh, moving on to the old mail sack. Check that mail sack, check it good. Check that mail sack like you should. Oh no! We suck again! Oh, man, I tell you what, it's it's amazing how they're able to find the testicles just to lop them off again every week. That's right, folks. No email this week. Uh, But... Um, if you would like to send us an email, as always, we want to hear from you, especially like on this movie pass stuff. So send us an email to the show at slscast.com. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, as always, we would love for you to do that. You can follow us at the slscast. And speaking of people who are following and giving us a listen, um, we got a couple of special shout outs here. We want to send a shout out to Clint from Geek Dig for pointing Mike uh, whose handle is at lucid endeavors to our show. Thank you so very much for that. Um, we, we got, uh, we were contacted by Mike and, uh, he explained to us how he had found our show and was literally recommended. So that was really cool. Thank you so much to both of you for doing that. That's great. And I think, uh, without further ado, we can now go to did it age well. Did it age well? Did it age well? I'm only three and a half years old. Anyway. <laughs> Alright, so we're covering 1983's comedy drama film, The Big Chill. Come in where there's music. Come in where there's laughter. Come in and share the warmth, spaghetti and wine. Oh, you know, I forgot what this is like. Getting away from you people is the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, how much sex, fun, friendship can one man take? I know that Richard will always be faithful to you. That's nice. Who trust? Fear of herpes. There is a little-known condition that affects all our lives. Symptoms range from lack of coordination to lack of direction, to unusually mature behavior. Tell us about big-time journalism. Uh, well, where I work, we have only one editorial rule. You can't write anything longer than the average person can read during the average crap. My clients were the scum of the earth, really extreme repulsivos. Well, who do you think your clients were going to be, grumpy and sneezy? Check your temperature. The ground is ready. I just need someone to plant the seed. Yeah, but who's going to be the lucky farmer? What? What? I can always be counted on to do the right thing. It's a disgusting curse. If you feel any of these symptoms... It's about everything. Uh, uh, suicide. Alex and I made love the night before he died. It was fantastic. Despair. You don't know anything about me. For 15 years, you've acted like I'm the one you really wanted. you made sure that everybody knew it. Uh, where did our hope go? Lost hope. That's it. Lost hope. It was easy back then. No one ever had a cushier birth than we did. It's not surprising our friendship could survive that. It's only out here in the world that it gets tough. You may have contracted the big chill. I know, but I'm telling you, I think I've got something good right here. I haven't met that many happy people in my life. How do they act? 
new stars of the 80s in a comedy for all times. Tom Berenger, Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt, Kevin Kline, Mary Kay Place, Meg Tilly, Joe Beth Williams, Lawrence Kasdan's The Big Chill. In a cold world, you need your friends to keep you warm. Lawrence Kasdan of Star Wars fame. He's the guy who like co-wrote Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, and Indiana Jones. And he directed uh, Force Awakens, I think. Did he direct Force Awakens or he just helped write it? I can't remember. J.J. Abrams did that. That's right. But he did... This, I mean, this is Kasdan's second movie that he wrote and directed. He did Body Heat uh, a year or two before with William Hurt and Kathleen Turner. He did... Grand Canyon in 1990. So he's done a number of really good movies. He, he wrote and directed a number of really good movies. So this movie, which stars Tom Berenger, Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt, Kevin Klein, Mary Kay Place, Meg Tilly, and Joe Beth Williams. That's right, Meg Tilly. I didn't even... It didn't even dawn on me that she was in this movie. Holy crap. And I'm staring at her the whole time. And I was just like, wow. Because, I mean, it just didn't really sound like her and everything. It was kind of crazy. So what it is is it's a bunch of middle-aged guys, uh, guys and gals, who have come together to uh, spend the weekend mourning the death of their friend, um, who in Trivia Land was actually played by Kevin Costner. Uh, but every shot of his, uh, every shot where his face would have been shown was ultimately cut from the film. So, yeehaw. And, and basically they're just kind of dealing with it. Now, what's interesting about this is that these are now people who are definitely in their 30s, uh, heading, heading very quickly to their 40s. And this is 1983, which goes to show you that their, you know, their, their spring of life, the early season of their life happened in the 60s. And there was a whole lot of things going on. That was the British invasion. It was the time of uh, lots of peace struggles, the Vietnam War, civil rights. I mean, there was a huge happenings in the country at the time. Um, and when you go from that, into the mundacity of life where they become executives like shoe company executives and lawyers and um and and journalists for for just regular magazines and stuff like that uh specifically people magazine and yet now they're also kind of staring the rest of their lives in the face in the face of the tragedy of the loss of their friend you pair that with a kick-ass soundtrack, and I don't know. Seems like you got a pretty good movie overall. The movie in and of itself has a couple of really cool things going for it. One, just an absolute stellar cast. And which is really interesting because you don't necessarily think of a lot of these people anymore as these kinds of actors. Like you see Tom Berenger in this movie. You see uh, Mary Kay Place and Joe Beth Williams. And they're really, you know, holding their own in terms of acting and giving you these great, great characters. And yet they've gone on to do such varied things. Now, that's not to say that they, you know, failed or disappeared or their second rate or anything, but based on the strength of these performances, it is surprising that they did not maintain 
or and or rocket into the stratosphere of A-list stars and main, and maintain that presence. There and again, you also have people like Kevin Klein who had high-profile careers all the way through the 90s and into the early 2000s. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, who is, of course, uh, still very popular even to today. Who plays a very Jeff Goldblum-y character. <laughs> it, it, what's so good, though, is that he just... It, it, he's extremely Jeff Goldblumy, but at the same time, it's like, it's like a Jeff Goldblum in real life, not a famous great actor Jeff Goldblum. It'd be like, oh wow, look at the lanky guy who thinks he's trying to get something and keeps striking out. That's what's happening with this character in this movie. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, it has all of these great actors and actresses, all of these great performances going for it, and uh, built around a very human tragedy. And, spoiler alert, they give it away in the first, you know, minute and a half of the movie. Um, their friend who passed away committed suicide. Um, and so that's what, you know, that's why the death is so jarring as they come back. Um and this particular scenario is really interesting. And so that's what makes the movie great. What makes the movie kind of odd is the fact that you're given, it's kind of like you're given a window. And the window is so perfect into the lives and the dynamics of these people. And yet you are not a part of them. You are not in the inner circle right you're not in the circle of trust uh i'll meet the parents and so and and when the movie ends it ends just as abruptly as it began and i abruptly is not a fair word um it ends it transitions out as smoothly as it transitions in and while you definitely get the complete story of everything that's happening here and you can piece together all of the inferences that you want from everything that happens. It makes it difficult to truly relate to everything that's happening. So at the end of the day, you like the story, you like the people, but you're just kind of left going... You're kind of left wanting more, but at the same time feeling like you've had enough and it provides kind of an awkward juxtaposition for that but again great acting and great great story overall i would have to say at the end of the day yes this is aged very very well i think this is truly the quintessential dramedy um if you're striving for a story I think you have to build characters that clearly have history and actors that are strong enough to bring those characters out and hold them with great direction to guide everything you're seeing on the screen. And it all came together for that. And that kind of, and it's this kind of a story with these kind of characters outside of fashion, right? And the interior design, the core part of the story is something that a lot of people could relate to and understand even to today. So um, while it leaves you wanting more and it's kind of awkward in that regard, um, I would say, yes, the big chill has aged exceptionally well and is worth a watch. 
um, and I'll just drop this bomb on you. I realized as I was watching this movie, I'd never seen it before. What? I really? Know. Really, really. Oh, man. So I I feel like at that point I can really say it's aged well because <laughs> I didn't sit around going, what the fuck am I watching this for? So... Well, that that's awesome. I fucking love this movie. I had the SO watch it with me. So I watched it a couple times when I was younger. And I really didn't think too much of it. And then I saw it again at the end of high school, beginning of college. And I, I got a kick out of it. I, I enjoyed it. But there's something about living and maturing. And then going back and revisiting this movie, you'll find various aspects that mean so much more to you and that maybe it was good that you didn't watch it until now because maybe you're able to relate in some way to these people you're, you're kind of in the same mindset as in uh, maturity wise and age wise and all that stuff well it's interesting that you bring that up because um i i was really excited to share this viewing with jen we and so like you uh i had jen sit down and we watched the movie and um I, I was first introduced via the soundtrack and stuff. That's why I'd always thought I'd seen the movie because we had the soundtrack and everything. It turns out that Jen had the soundtrack because her dad had the soundtrack on LP. And so she went and listened to it all the time growing up and then got it on CD. And then, of course, I listened to it with her on CD. Um, and she, I, I, found, I come to find out, had never seen this movie either. But her dad loved this movie, and of course, he passed away earlier this year. So it was kind of a kind of a surreal experience watching this movie this time. So um, I, I I think it did help. I guess what really sparked my undying love for this movie, I owe it to Edgar Wright because in promoting The World's End, uh, I guess that was in 2014, so a few years ago. He was doing a number of screenings of classic movies that inspired his screenplay at Tarantino's New Beverly Theater. So he showed a number of different older movies, like because At World's End pertains to robots, he did a double feature of Westworld and The Terminator. So he showed The Big Chill and With Nail and I. That was the double feature that night. And after I watched The Big Chill... I, I knew I had to watch this movie again. And then I went and rented it online, watched it VOD. I knew I had to watch it again. And so I think I watched it maybe three or four times within two weeks after watching the movie with Edgar Wright at the New Beverly Theater. So I had this weird obsession with this movie because I love the writing and I love how it was shot. I love the use of the music. But most of all, I love the camaraderie in the movie. And that's why Edgar Wright wanted to show this movie because of the camaraderie. He wanted to have the feeling that Lawrence Kasdan implemented when it came to the characters. He, you know, he kept all that in mind when creating the friendship between Simon Pegg and all those, all those old drinking buddies in At the World's End. And then after doing some research into the movie, I found out that now people consider the relationship between Sarah and Harold, the husband and wife played by Kevin Klein and Glenn Close. After a while, what you find out in the movie is once you start seeing how Sarah is reacting to the death of Alex, like she she is breaking down crying while everybody is quipping, like making death jokes and pretty inappropriate jokes, but jokes you would make around friends. 
she would get be so upset by him. And so there's a heartbreaking scene when she's just crying naked in the shower. And this camera does this beautiful dolly shot and she's just in tears, just breaking down. And so up until you find out that she actually had a relationship with Alex, she cheated on Harold with Alex, it kind of dawns on you that, oh, fuck, man, like, that's why she's so upset by this. Well, then you find out that Harold obviously knows about this, yet he has forgiven her because they're all friends, and she realized what she did was wrong, and therefore he was able to forgive her. And on top of that, he's best friends with Alex, so he's able to forgive him. And it's just this very interesting situation amongst good friends that experience so much together that they're willing to forgive one another, even when it comes down to infidelity, that audiences now think it's taboo. They think it's strange. They think it's weird. And they don't accept it that loving people within a relationship could successfully make it out of a dark place like obviously where these characters have gone. And you really don't experience the infidelity because this, of course, takes place after the death of Alex. And so you're basically in the post-problematic period. But then what happens? I've been out there dating for 20 years. I've gotten where I can tell in the first 15 seconds if there's a chance in the world. Well, at least you're giving them a fair shot. You know, that's easy for you to say, married to Harold, the perfect man. I don't know, sometimes I think I don't even want a man anymore. So, here I sit on my ticking biological clock, and the only thing I've known in my entire life is that I want to have a child. Don't remind me. It was probably you not know, was the right thing to do at the time. So, what do you do? Baby. Mary Kay Place's character of Meg, who's single, she hasn't had the best of luck with men, she is wanting to be pregnant. And so she's trying to get Tom Berenger's character, Sam, to impregnate her. What? You want me to do what? Come on, Sam. Don't make me say it again. Oh, Meg. You're giving me a massive headache. You're not going to use that old excuse, are you? You've got good genes. But he thinks it's a little strange and he doesn't want anything to do with it. William Hurt can't do anything about it because he, I think he's infertile, if I remember that correctly. And really the only other person left is Harold, Kevin Klein's Harold. But Mary Kay Place, Meg, she doesn't even mention this to Harold. And she doesn't even propose the idea of sleeping with Sarah's husband to Sarah, Glenn Close. And basically what happens, Sarah, she comes to the realization closer to the end of the movie that she owes it to her friend. Like the ultimate sacrifice that she can give at that moment is letting her husband impregnate their best friend. And with me saying it, without going into too much depth of the sentimentality and the characterizations and all that stuff, it comes across as a little different and weird, especially since nobody is stepping on on one another's toes when it comes to this particular situation. And I told my SO about this years ago, and she was kind of weirded out by it. And so I went, and once we decided that we were going to cover this this week, I went out and bought the Criterion edition of the movie. It's great, by the way. It's definitely worth the 22 23 bucks online. I had her watch it. And she, too, was caught up in it. She understood why that particular situation would and could 
come into play amongst these people and how one could go about accepting it. It's absolutely beautiful. And we talked about it a little bit after the movie. And we basically both came to the conclusion that it's absolutely beautiful feat a movie could achieve when they tackle such a serious subject when they're not being completely blatant and shoving this particular subject down your throat, letting you know that, hey, this is what we're going to tackle and we're going to try our best to make you understand it and accept it. It just kind of comes out of nowhere and it happens smoothly and it feels all right. That is not the only thing I get out of this movie. What makes this movie work are two things, the camaraderie and the editing and the framing of the shots. With the camaraderie, what helped is that Kasdan shot the movie pretty much in continuity. There's a great sense of history and camaraderie amongst these characters, and that is due to such a fantastic script by Lawrence Kasdan. The screenplay is so good that it feels like you're watching real people. And in fact, he did mirror real personalities and people that he knew at a specific period of time. And with the editing and, and the framing, you see a lot of like reaction shots from different perspectives, you know, and you get to see people react to what everybody says, regardless if it's a joke, regardless if it's a hard hitting sentiment or whatever. You know exactly how these people are affected at any given moment. Please don't do this, guys. This is happening because we all really miss him and we're really hurting. I think that's a crock of shit. I think we're afraid just the opposite is true. Alex died for most of us a long time ago. I think you're a crock of shit. Don't speak for me or anybody else here. You hate your life. That's your problem. Don't tell us how we feel, okay? That's it. That's all I'm saying. If I hate my life, that's my problem. They're going around to comfort Alex just as compassionately. Hey, Nick. We go back a long way. I'm not going to piss that away because you're higher than a cutty. Wrong. A long time ago, we knew each other for a short period. You don't know anything about me. It was easy back then. No one ever had a cushier birth than we did. It's not surprising our friendship could survive that. It's only out here in the world that it gets tough. Nick. I don't care what you say. I know I loved you and everybody else here. I'll go on believing that till I kick. And then you have these montages and vignettes. The opening of this movie is absolutely beautiful. The first 10 or 15 minutes is fantastic. How they set up all these characters, how they introduce these characters, how they interact with one another. You know automatically what issues they're going through. Like Joe Beth Williams' character, Karen, you know automatically why she is not getting along with her husband, Richard, because... You see how he comes across. I mean, nothing like you described. Not at all. Not one of those people looks like I thought they would. I can't believe these are the same people you've been talking about all these years. Really? <laughs> I'd love to hear the way you describe me to them. <laughs> and all this happens with each of these people with very little bits of dialogue. Like William Hurt's Nick, you get the idea that he's, he's a good guy, but you get an idea of why he's a lost soul. Right off the bat, with Jeff Goldblum, Michael, you know, he's a horny, horny entertainment dude, but you also know that he's a good guy, and he doesn't necessarily succeed at every single thing he tries to, tries to do, like pick up women. How this movie handles all this stuff in a relatively short period of time is fantastic to watch, because again, it's not being shoved down your throat. You're not being told what to think. 
but you're experiencing it. And you're drinking in the milk that this movie is producing, that these characters are, are producing. It's a fantastic movie. And yes, I absolutely think this movie did age well. It's a smart, well-made film for mature adults. And I think that it transcends, really, every generation because we are all these characters. We really are. And we owe it to ourselves to be aware of it <laughs> and accept it. Because, granted, we might not make the same decisions or choices as these characters did, but I think we can all relate to why they would do such a thing. And I think that says a lot about a movie. Yes, this movie did age well, sounds like, all the way around. We should be here. I feel like we should have had a chair for Alex. Of course, we don't have enough food, but... I know this is all so familiar, and I, I love you all so much. I know that sounds gross, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. I feel like I was at my best when I was with you people. I know what you mean, sir. When I lost touch with this group, I lost my idea of what I should be. Maybe that's what happened to Alex. At least we expected something of each other then. I think we needed that. Not me. Getting away from you people is the best thing ever happened to me. <laughs> I mean, how much sex, fun, friendship can one man take? All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our bonus segment. Um, on our next episode of the SLS cast, uh, we are going to do another bonus segment. We're going to do the copycat throwdown. We're going to do 2017's It versus It Part 1, which is, uh, spoiler alert, going to be our movie that we cover for the next episode of the SLS cast. So be on the lookout for that. And without further ado, I believe it is time for the movie, is it not, sir? Let's movie it up. Here we go, folks. It's the movie we This week's movie is Logan Lucky. I think we should start off with Lucky and then end on Logan. It'd be nice if the movie was titled that, but it's but it's not. All right. Well, Logan Lucky, 2017 American heist comedy film, uh, and it is directed by Steven Soderbergh and uh, written by Rebecca Blunt. So, did you say Sober Bear? Directed by Steven Sober Bear? No, Soderbergh. <laughs> Channing Tatum stars in it, Adam Driver, Seth MacFarlane, Katie Holmes, Catherine Waterston, Dwight Yoakam, Sebastian Stan, Hilary Swank, and Daniel Craig. Jimmy, I'm just going to say it. I got to let you go. <laughs> you were just fired. How many times have I listened to that Logan family curse thing of yours? Well, your brother's missing an arm. <laughs> Show a little respect. That looks like it hurt. This kind of stuff don't happen to normal folks. Custody. I'm getting a lawyer. With what money? I'm sorry, you have some sort of robbery to-do list. Charlotte Motor Speedway. It's the biggest race of the year. I know how they move the money. The only guy who knows about blowing up bank vaults is Joe Bang. I am in car, sir. Ray, dead. Yeah, we got a plan to get you out. 
that we're gonna do this. Oh, your daughter. I love you, Daddy. We need, like, a computer whiz. I know everything there is to know about computers, okay? Yeah. All the Twitters, I know them. You calling from a secure location? I'm calling on a phone, like a real phone. I'm at the Let's blow this thing! You thought I was gonna use a stick to dynamite? Yeah, I kinda did. Yeah, me too. We are dealing with science here. The system's gone down. They're gonna know what we want them to know. Some are calling this the hillbilly heist. I want everything on Jimmy Logan. Something right. I saw what I saw. It's a purple 77 Eldorado. I'm on my way to church. I don't have time for this. Step out of the vehicle, man. I'm about to get naked. So no bacon. I said no bacon. You might roll this Logan curse. It's just gossip. You Logans must be as simple-minded as people say. People say that. Would you give me my arm, please? Is it this one? <laughs> All right, so what you got here is a guy by the name of Jimmy Logan, played by Channing Tatum, who is a down-on-his-luck construction guy, former football player, who gets laid off from his job, and basically kind of all around life, his ex-wife, who's definitely traded up since leaving him, is going to take his take his daughter, and they're moving to uh, a further away city. I mean, not... Super huge far away, but far enough that it's a problem for him. And his response is to, you know, solve all of his problems by actually getting some real money in his life, which he's going to do by robbing the Indy, uh, Indianapolis Speedway? No, Charlotte Motor Speedway. So he's doing, he's going to rob the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Um, and, and basically, so he assembles his crew, his crew, of course, uh, with his brother, who is missing uh, his part of uh, part of uh, an arm, basically his hand. Um, he's played by Adam Driver. They're also going to utilize... Um, oh, good Lord. Um, I, <laughs> Daniel Craig's character of Joe Bang and his brothers uh, Sam and Fish, played by Brian Gleason and Jack Quaid respectively and that's kind of the idea that forms the kind of the basis of the crew that's going to go through and rob the uh, rob the vault Uh, and then of course as always shenanigans ensue um i i really can't say enough about how how straightforward this is. And it's actually a good thing that the movie is as straightforward as it is. The only problem is is that, you know, as you heard in the trailer, it kind of gives this, like, you know, amazing adventure feel, kind of like constantly one-upping each other in this back and forth um, where there's all these interchangeable dynamics happening that really go into the highest kind of a la Ocean's Eleven, but but like a Hick version, right? Almost like a Masterminds version of Ocean's Eleven. And yet, it's a bit of a bait and switch because that's not really what happens. Yes, it's a it's it's very Hickified, but overall, these people are not really caricatures. Um, unless they are needed to be for a plot device, as much as as much as they are just working past what we see as stereotypes, which makes for great characters, but doesn't make as much for the comedy. And that's fine because we don't always need to laugh at you know white trash and trailer trash just because um, you know they're people too. 
But at the same time, the things you're expected to laugh at, you're not. Now, there are still some great lines in there. There's a, there's a really good, um, throughout much of the shenanigans, there is a prison riot, and the negotiation scene is like one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie. Um, it was great to see Dwight Yoakam. He actually plays the warden of the prison there. But you have a lot of characters that get introduced as red herrings, uh, the chief of which is uh, Seth MacFarlane's character of Max Chilblain, who plays an energy, uh, an, an energy drink magnate um, and also a race car sponsor. And again, there's lots of red herrings in here that just aren't necessary. And I think they were added as an idea of like, oh, this will just be really funny. But but. They're just not. And every time they throw in these major red herrings like that, it just kind of... Um, it just really kind of breaks the illusion that the, that the film gives. Because there, there are some really interesting points that the movie makes in terms of the way that the heist is carried out. At the end of the day, this one's 3.5 out of 5. It's decent, but... Um, the red herrings and the kind of bait and switch of the style and tone of the movie versus what the trailer gave you, um, kind of left a little bit to be desired, but it's, I mean, it's, it's standard fare. And I think most of the, most people have a good time. Kind of a bummer that it's bombing at the box office, really, especially on such a low budget. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. A reaction is power, and it's moving fast, and it's moving away from you, and it keeps moving till it hits something. Like a vault wall. Sure, like a vault wall. When that energy is moving away from you, it's called the positive pressure phase. But there's also a negative pressure phase. That part of the thing that sucks some of the energy back towards you. So you want to make sure you always got more positive than negative. Or else you got to get out of the way fast. Bring us home there, Tim. Did you by any chance read any of the reviews? Nope. I do know it's got like a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes. I checked that out before we recorded the show tonight. So it has a 93%. Everybody is praising Soderbergh. He retired a few years ago, and I guess this is his big announcement that he is not going to be retired anymore. <laughs> I didn't look into this movie at all before I went to go see it. I remember seeing a teaser trailer for it, but I didn't make any attempts to watch clips. I didn't make any attempts to watch any newer trailers or anything like that. And I didn't even read any reviews. I mean, the only reviews that I did see are the little tidbits that pop up on the commercials or uh, just stuff that people mention in articles, just saying that it's it's a great movie, it's, it's fast-paced, it's witty, it's all this stuff and yada, yada, yada. So I went into it expecting a very funny movie and I laughed maybe twice and it was more of a chuckle I didn't laugh out in fact I don't think anybody in the theater really laughed out loud I know I started this review off with kind of a negative thing but it is a three-star movie for me it's good but there are a lot of issues with the film it's a character-driven movie 
And what I mean by it's a character-driven movie is that the movie relies heavily on the characters. I had a good time watching Daniel Craig. This might be one of my favorite Daniel Craig performances. He portrayed a character when it felt like I was watching everybody else playing caricatures. Because with Daniel Craig, he, at the beginning of the film, when you first meet him, he comes across as this troublesome, badass prisoner that's going to do everything in his power to fuck whoever over just to get out of jail. And as the movie goes on, you realize he's not quite like that. At least I didn't get that impression that, that, that he is. He ends up getting caught up in the heist and getting caught up in the story. Therefore, he's, he's not really a big asshole and not as brash as he comes across initially. And so when you meet him, especially by the end of the film, you definitely get a good grasp on his character. And it felt like there are some changes. The Logan brothers, though, other than Channing Tatum and his daughter and what he gives up at the end of the movie, you really don't get a sense of a character accomplishing something or coming to any kind of realization. Because what you find out he gives up, you don't see the moment when he decides to give that particular thing up. It just kind of happens. With saying that about his character, it's an entertaining character to watch. And his brother also is very entertaining to watch as well. They're all very good performances. And they all pretty much look the part. And I was able to get behind that. But you just cannot have fun and interesting to watch characters. You need a good script. And this movie doesn't have the greatest script. <laughs> the plot is a little blah. The dialogue is horrible. I mean, it's very cliched dialogue. Very cliched hick dialogue. And it's a little disappointing that the dialogue is very cliched because this is a this movie is made very well. Uh, technically, it's made very well, and the structure the structure was pretty interesting. But I, I just that cliched hick trucker dialogue was was a little too much for me, and it felt like the comedy relied a lot on that dialogue. Go to any improv show when they're improving as a trucker or as a hillbilly. They're gonna say probably 85% of what is said in this movie. <laughs> like the Twitter, you know, the internet, the Google. Oh, yeah, I'm technology advised because I, I do all the tweets. I do all the tweeting. I know all the tweeting. I know I know all the Facebooks. I know all the my, my books and the face spaces. I, I know all that stuff. They're running the gamut of cliched hillbilly hick sayings in hillbilly ponderings. So it's frustrating because I liked what they were going for with the whole father and daughter. I enjoyed it. I liked the interesting little twist, I guess, at the end when it came to the heist itself and how it affected uh, one of the characters. I enjoyed it. But just because that is good doesn't justify it being blatantly placed there for that specific reason. And so that's why I give this movie 3 out of 5. It's good because of the characters and the performances, but it doesn't deserve any more because of the dialogue and the clichédness. So, 3 out of 5. Well, that's not bad. I mean, you know, 3.5 for me, 3 for you, you know. At least we liked it, so... That's true, that's true. <laughs> so that's better than nothing. 
So on the next episode of the SLS cast, uh, we're going to be covering It, 2017's It. And just as a programming announcement, we are going to be introducing our new series. Well, I guess not exactly a new series per se, as much as it is kind of a a slight spinoff of the SLS cast brand. Uh, and it is called errors of continuity. And this is something that Tim has spearheaded and, um, is really excited about. And when you actually get to hear the beginning of the show, you'll get the full rundown. Um, so the next two weeks of content are actually going to be episodes one and two of errors of continuity which is going to be focusing on the millennium trilogy and as we mentioned way back about a month a month and a half ago um that was the very first set of movies that we ever covered um as our kind of our dress rehearsal for the sls cast way back in 2011 we actually reviewed the millennium trilogy so this is kind of a fun um you know, blast from the past for us, but with a whole new focus. And of course, we'll be joined by uh, Johnny White Trash for a lot of the discussion on that. Uh, which means that episode 247 of the SLS cast won't drop until the week of uh, the 14th ish. So uh, just be ready for that. But when that happens, we'll be covering it. And without further ado, I guess it's time for the spiel, is it not, sir? Spiel on. Is there something wrong with the food? No, the food was excellent. Perhaps you're not happy with the service? No, no, no complaints. It's just that we have to go. I'm having rather a heavy period. And we have a train to catch. Oh, yes, yes, of course, we have a train to catch. And I don't want to start bleeding all over the seats. Right, well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at the SLSCast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at NickTwit12345. You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Sebastian Stan, I get to say this. Embrace your differences and the qualities about you that you think are weird. Eventually, they're going to be the only things separating you from everyone else. Take your cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week. Perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur.
get it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>